0: Quick PSA for our listeners who are U.S. citizens, the 2020 election season is now upon us and it is so important that you make your voice be heard. Please go to www.vote.org to find out all voting information you might need and be sure to vote early. Again, that website is www.vote.org. Plan your vote and enjoy the show.
1: Computer, initialize
2: Hollow Suite, Media.
3: Let us see what the future holds.
1: Welcome listeners once again to What the Future Holds, your dedicated Star Trek Discovery podcast here on Hollow Media. We thank you for joining us once again on our build-up to season three of Discovery coming in just a few short weeks. And I try not to squee every single time I say that. <coughs> but it's difficult. I'll squeeze. <laughs> You're doing it for me. Yes, you might notice I'm not alone. I'm never alone. Why would I ever do this alone? I have people with me that I trust and love doing this podcast with me. First of all, my good friend, Chris D. Littlefield. How are you?
0: Hello. I am doing very well today. Thank you.
1: I am glad to hear it. And of course, my wonderful husband, my partner of almost 23 years. Just like three weeks, it will be 23 years. <laughs> Dave Jekyll, how are you, darling?
2: Vulcan hello to you. I'm doing okay. <laughs> don't Vulcan hello her.
1: I don't want a Vulcan hello. <laughs> I do not want to be fired upon. So last week we talked about season two, excuse me, part two, season two. I'm off to a great start. And finished off our season one retrospective. And boy, did we have a lot to say about the latter sure of did. season two. Season, oh my God had a lot to say about the latter half of season one. I'm having trouble with words and numbers today. That's okay. That bodes well for a podcast.
0: Something else you and Spock have in common.
1: This is true. I do have a bit of dyslexia. So So, now we're going to start on season two. And this time, like I said last time, we are going to split it right down the middle. So we are going to be going through episodes one through seven of season two and if you are unfamiliar with which episodes those are, it will be Brother, New Eden, Point of Light, An Obal for Karen, Saints of Imperfection, The Sound of Thunder, and Light and Shadows. Mm-hmm. And then we will leave you with that fabulous cliffhanger between episodes seven and eight. Yes. All right. So let's jump right into it. So- let's do it.
0: I'm ready. It's all fresh in my mind right now.
1: <laughs> I know us too. We just we just finished earlier this week our rewatch, or was it over the weekend? I think it was over the weekend that we did. But in any case, yeah. Of course, we have the season one recap to remind us all what happened a year ago and whatnot.
0: Culber, next snap number six.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, I knew you were counting.
0: <laughs> yep. I'm not done.
1: I I know you're not. <laughs> It basically picks up where season one ended with the appearance of the USS Enterprise and Captain Pike hailing the Discovery. The Enterprise is basically almost completely inoperable. Pike and his science officer and security officer are going to beam on board. Michael is obviously very tense because she knows that Spike, the Spike, the Spock... <laughs>
2: Some we're doing Buffy slash wow.
1: fic. Um, Pike and Spock are now Spike.
2: <laughs> Ooh, oh, that's a nice little uh, I like relationship that. name for them. <laughs> so she... they're shipping.
1: Yep, exactly. She says to Sarek, "I had, I had thought I would never see Spock again." And Sarek says, "Nor did I." So Saru says, "Come on, we're going down to the transporter room." So she goes down with him, and then we get not Spock.
0: We get sexy Connolly.
1: Yeah, I didn't like him.
0: Sexy, toxic, masculine, but so sexy.
1: Didn't find him attractive <laughs> no. at all. I do. Mm. Did, ah, yeah. Did absolutely nothing for me.
0: Maybe that explains why I sometimes date assholes.
2: It could be.
1: It could be. Well,
2: confidence can be alluring.
1: Yeah, yeah, but his confidence was obviously misplaced. Yeah, bravado. Pike says he's there to take command, and they head off to the bridge because Saru says that it has to be done specifically because of the whole Lorca thing they have to actually transfer command in front of all the crew and verify handprints and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. I was gratified that Linus did sneeze on Connolly. that made me smile <laughs> and it made yes. of smile too and you know what I noticed this time <laughs> that
0: Linus's eyelids blink both horizontally and vertically
1: mm-hmm. two sets of eyelids so cool Vulcans have two sets of eyelids as well. I love Linus. He's fun. Glad we get to see more of him. Yeah. We have our fun bridge scene with uh, Tilly getting Pike's uh, information and putting his handprint on his, his pinky's not quite in the right spot. And she's, uh-huh. she's like, it's of a <laughs> captain. Yeah. It's just so cute. You know, she's just so awkward. She's like, it's, just, uh, let me just, and she moves his finger. Which class did he fail? Uh, physics. Was it
2: cartography? Physics, right. And has childhood asthma. Mm
1: hmm. Had childhood asthma. I like that he is immediately, purposefully being as opposite to Lorca as possible because yeah. he's been briefed on what this crew has been through. He's not going to be deceptive in any way, he's not going to hold anything back. What you see is what you get with Captain Pike.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, right. which is refreshing. Yeah. I don't know what anyone else's experience was before. Star Trek Discovery season two but I only knew Anson Mount from one thing up to that point and that was actually Marvel's Inhumans
0: right same
1: and then when I first saw him I'm just like who is this
2: it's Black Bolt taking a role in which he didn't get to speak mm-hmm. yeah that'd be all face acting. yeah
1: so I had no idea what he sounded like until he appeared on Discovery and then I'm like oh no that works that works just
0: he looks so much younger on Inhumans right
1: I mean, he does have gray hair on that as well. It's just not as gray. Right. He had some gray hair during Hell on Wheels.
0: I did watch a little bit of that after season two came out. I I think I've only watched the first episode. It's pretty good.
1: It is good. I'm not a Western fan, but I would watch it for him.
0: And Colmini.
1: And Colmini. Yeah. Gotta watch it for those Trek people. But is mm-hmm. just, you know, brilliant anyway, in his own right. Do you remember your first impressions, Chris, when, you, when he first uh, comes on the bridge and starts talking to the crew?
0: He just came in and nailed it. I was all about it. I thought he's fantastic casting, and I was instantly sold.
1: How about you, Dave?
2: I thought, okay, we've got ourselves a Superman. He's a Boy Scout. He's lawful good. He's just an epitome of what Starfleet represents all-around good guy, very honest and forthright, and he's going to be a good captain for everybody, I think.
1: I was much of the same opinion. I knew that he would do well just because I knew he was a good actor, even though the only thing I had seen of him up to that point was in humans. You know, if you can connect with me without saying a word, you're pretty damn good. This is what I want. Can we keep him forever? I know we can't keep him forever, but at least we get him for this season, right? Please say we can have him for the whole season. That was basically me in my brain just going a million miles an hour going, I want this forever. But uh, I knew it wasn't to be. I do love how he immediately explains the seven signals. He talks about what their mission is. There's only one that is willing to show it, show them where it is. And that's where they're going. Mm-hmm. Right before they start doing anything, you know, he gets in the captain's chair and he says, OK, roll call. And everybody just looks at every right. each other and is like, what? And he says, yeah, I need. I want to know who I'm working with. Just, just skip the ranks. They don't matter. And just by them going around the room one time, he's got everybody's name. I couldn't have done that. He's just that good. And then he's giving everybody orders. And then he's like to Detmer. And Detmer, fly good.
3: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> and Arium is the only one who says her rank.
1: Mm-hmm. And I still haven't understood why that was important to her. But I don't know. Oh, well.
0: I thought that the very beginning of the episode was so beautiful when we get the Cassini mission info and oh, yes. the beginning of the girl who made the stars mm-hmm. story. And it's just beautiful.
1: Yes. And everybody thinks it's going to go into the typical thing, but they, they expected you to think that until, you, she says, space, the final frontier, Right. Above us. Yeah. Below us. <laughs> Within <laughs> us. Just... Mm-hmm. Thank you. I thought it was beautiful. It was.
0: Also, I, w- I want to say just real quick that Brother was the very first podcast, first time I ever guested on a podcast. It was for the other network for the oh, wow. for the postcards, the fan feedback episode, and that was the first time I ever was on a podcast. The more you know.
1: I had a feeling that we weren't going to see Spock for a while, but I was still very disappointed when it wasn't Spock being conscious <laughs> The discovery but that's okay it was worth the wait this is the episode which starts us on this crazy ass journey Mm -hmm. through seven signals this is so fast paced and yet doesn't feel rushed but when we got to the end of season two again i just felt like didn't we just start this Uh each episode just bleeds into the next and so it feels like one continuous story instead of episodic they go to the red signal. There's no red thing. Where's this damn red thing? <laughs>
0: Where's the damn red thing?
1: <laughs> there's weird gravity going on because there's dark matter around, which they don't know quite yet. But they find a big asteroid and there's something crashed on it. When they do these photographic, they they can't really scan. So Burnham suggests, well, we have these cameras that we use for hull repair and we could take a bunch of photos and kind of composite them and so that's what they do and that's when she finds something on that big asteroid.
2: And these cameras they have flash bulbs on them I thought well, that was pretty fun. Well space is dark! I know! They just start flashing like like it was like paparazzi or
1: something <laughs> Yes, it's like now turn a little to the left, oh beautiful you're a gorgeous asteroid, yes!
2: <laughs> Make love more, to the camera. More. <laughs>
1: Yes. Now smile for me. They can't really tell the ship's registry. So Burnham asks Saru to look at it because he has a wider field of optical input. He can see more. He can see things that humans can't see and many other races can't see. I'm assuming that that's a defensive mechanism before pre-evolution and probably a predatory thing post-evolution. Yeah, another <laughs> kelpian
0: something ways. information that throws something else in there. Why not?
1: Well, it makes sense, though, knowing what we know about kelpians now. <laughs> so I don't have a problem with it at all. They find out it's the USS Hiawatha that they thought had been lost in the Klingon mm-hmm. War. They're going to go down and see if there are, sur- are survivors. But how are they going to get there? Because they can't take the ship through it. They can't transport.
0: And they're minus Connolly now.
1: Yeah. Well, they're not And yet. his
0: And that ass in that blue EV suit. Okay, I'm done.
1: All of their asses actually yeah, pretty fine. the that's in true. suits. Yeah. I mean, really, was there a not fine ass no. in that group? No, no. In fact, when they're all lined up and the elevator's kind of going down and I oh, yeah. and it stops, and I said to Dave, now that is a bunch of fine asses. Yes.
2: <laughs> true, true. Very nice.
1: Very nice backsides. So <laughs> it was the first time we kind of see Pike's frustration at being left out of the war. Mm. Burnham is, she's talking the problem out. And he interrupts her and he says, you know, I know what it is. What I need is a solution. I don't mind dissension. I really don't. But there has to be a solution. And she says, yes, yes, sir, I have one. Mm -hmm. And then she (laughs) explains taking the, the landing pods down there.
0: I didn't get that little thing between them at first, but I guess it has to do with his bitterness
1: it's a bit of old school Pike. They're channeling just a little mm, bit of Jeffrey Hunter. of the cage Pike mm-hmm. in there. So because that Pike was very angry. <laughs> so he has matured since then. And there's
0: this thread for a few episodes to where it's like Burnham is trying to tell him that he needs to trust them.
1: And she flat out says there is not a person on this ship that would leave behind a Starfleet brother or sister. Mm-hmm. And he backs down. He realizes that, you know, he does not need to worry about this pod time pods were fun and pod crazy time. and it made me nervous that they were all going to die <laughs>
2: it's another ride for our theme park oh yeah oh, no
1: no and then we have our mansplaining uh, yes. happen vacation yep. roommate burnham tells him his field is too wide pike agrees and he doesn't change course and then she tells him again his field is too wide and he says, uh, "Pike says she's right." And he says, "No, she's not." <laughs> and then says all this baloney in the middle of his mansplaining, crashes. Yep. Gets hit by a part of an asteroid, and bye bye. Kaboom!
2: Wondering if he's paid less attention to making his little Twitter reply that he would actually <laughs> pilot the ship <laughs> and avoid getting hit by an asteroid.
1: Yeah, he was too busy doing a, a mansplaining Twitter uh, reply yeah. and. It ended his life. A lesson to all.
2: Reply guy dies. So pretty. Yeah, that's
1: pretty much what he is, is a reply guy. They're a little bit upset, but not so much. They they move on quickly. (laughs) Well, I
2: think it's also the creators taking a poke at all the criticism they got for the first season. Or all those people that complained about every little thing. It's like, well, actually, this wouldn't happen because this thing and that other thing. So it's like, you know what? We see you, and this is what we think about you. <laughs> oh. We don't need you in our show, mm-hmm. so
0: bye. And did y'all think, too, a lot of people I know were talking about thinking that Nan was going to be the one that was going to die because she was in red, and they killed off the blue shirt instead?
1: hmm mm-hmm.
0: That was kind of them screwing Subverting. with us, too, I think. Yeah.
1: Subverting expectations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I always love it when a reply guy gets it. I, just, <laughs> I mean, I don't want every reply guy to die. Don't get me wrong. He was but,
0: not really, you know, he had no redemption.
1: No, he had to go. No, he w- he wasn't smart enough to do what was necessary, simply because a woman told him to. Especially
2: when your commanding officer tells you to fall in line and you don't, mm-hmm. that's insubordination.
1: Yeah, when you think you're the smartest guy in the room and you're not the captain, no. You need to shut your mouth, follow orders. And
0: you're basically standing there in Spock's shoes, which is, come on, nobody can do that.
2: Yeah.
1: And he isn't even a commander yet at that point. Mm. So they do make it down, albeit um, Pike almost dies (laughs) because (laughs) he gets his pod fractured and his uh, helmet on his EV suit won't lower. This is when... A plan is hatched to rescue him, and he is refusing rescue. He's like, "You're not gonna risk your lives for mine. You gotta do this." And she's just like, "Sir, trust us. Mm-hmm. We got you." And then the we have him, right, ladies? <laughs> and they're like, "Uh, yes, 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 yes." I know they so, almost
2: top gun him. His canopy <laughs> won't open. He's stuck in his suit. His helmet won't close.
1: Yep. But finally, it does at the very last second. Yeah. They launch Burnham out of her pod, and she manages to catch him before they are impaled on uh, some Spikies. spiky asteroid bits. Mm-hmm. Even having watched that so many times, it's still just like
3: <sighs> <sighs>
1: <sighs> every time. It just you know makes me tense. Which is even knowing the outcome, if it can still make me tense, then everyone has done their job right. So now we're gonna go meet Jet Reno, our new favorite engineer that is not Samet's. We're going to meet Jet Reno, who's been keeping a bunch of critical patients alive for 10 months. Yeah.
2: But first, they have to enter the first level of their Dungeons and Dragons dungeon. This, this is true. Getting scanned, having to step past all her little the traps trip cord, that she's yeah. organized. Mm-hmm. wire.
1: Yep. That niggles at me just a little bit because it's like, couldn't you just deactivate those i know know? they've been scanned you know they're starfleet she probably still suspected that they might be under klingon influence because Mm. she thought the war was still going on Mm -hmm. so it's like well you're not speaking klingon so yeah
0: i really love in her little makeshift sickbay situation that the guy whose heart is being kept alive on the outside she calls him valentine Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's his name i thought that was so cool
2: that is adorable. How do you think of her using engineering to save lives through medicine? Why not?
1: Uh, I mean, she, does that work? She, does that not work? It absolutely does because she knows how to read. <laughs> right. <laughs> so she still has a computer on that ship. She can still access data.
0: She's clearly not your average engineer either. She's she's pretty no, uh, no. smart.
1: She can MacGyver things mm-hmm. if she needs to. She's one of those all around people that you want in the sticky situation, such as keeping all of these critical patients alive for 10 months on a crashed starship. After everyone else <laughs>
0: evacuated, like she's tough and everything and gruff, if you will. Mm-hmm. But she stayed behind mm-hmm. to take care of all of them. I love that.
1: I can't remember who said that. So like, you really stayed behind to take care of all these people? And she's like, "Uh, yeah,
3: mm-hmm.
2: what would you have done? Uh, my only issue with it is with the machine. If it loses power, you can restore power. If it's a, a living creature, if it loses power for long enough, it's dead. And that's the end of it. But she is very capable. So I imagine she was very cautious in what she was doing. But a lot of it seems to be emergency kind of fixes where, you know, she didn't have the proper equipment or the proper skill or know-how. So she just kind of hodgepodged people together.
1: She had to MacGyver it.
2: Clockwork fashion. She duct taped them together. Yeah.
1: But they were alive, and they got back to Discovery and were recovering, even though we never hear about them again. Right. That's true. Mm. Maybe they recovered completely, and they just became part of Discovery's crew. We don't know. Mm. We might have seen them and not known it was them.
0: Maybe they all died anyway.
1: No, (laughs) they didn't. They make mention on screen about how they're all in sickbay and recovering.
2: Getting their car batteries replaced.
1: I like the actual simile that she says, you know, the body is a machine because it is. Mm -hmm. It does function much in the same way as a machine. And she can read. She says that. She's like, well, the body is like a machine. and Also, I can read. She had time. What did she have to do other than look after these patients and read up on medical procedures to keep them alive?
2: (laughs) Just makes you wonder if you give a really promising engineer student a medical... Textbook if they could pull that off But we're talking about somebody very special Because Jet Reno is very special mm-hmm. And I don't think you could Really have anyone else Make it more convincing
1: I don't think you could either She's just immediately authoritative yeah, And sarcastic when they tell her that uh, the asteroid is going to fall into a pulsar in X amount of hours, she's like, oh, thank God. I thought we were all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately he's like, you have a plan, right? We all know how we feel about Jet Reno. She's awesome. How could yeah. she not be? But how do we feel about Non?
2: Oh, I loved her right away. I like her a lot. I like her suspicions. Because she's security, she's always watching people and trying to suss out, you know, what their intentions may be. You get that early on, you get it later, too. I think she's very capable for your for your security advisor.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. she, she's kind of in that same tiny but fierce camp. Do not mess with non. Yeah. But she's also... Barzan? Yeah, she's Barzan. Also, she's not without emotions or anything. She's not a kind of a jerk like Landry was. <laughs> <laughs> She's smart. She doesn't just go into everything guns blazing like a lot of security chiefs might do.
2: Well, Landry was about control. How can I control the situation? With Narn, it's more threat assessment.
1: With Landry, she would do things that shouldn't be your first choice in any situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, She's More impulsive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She just went, went immediately to the most, most violent response to gain control.
2: It's kind of like variations of law enforcement. Yep. Fair. If you're a compassionate law enforcement or
1: if you're a reactionary
2: law Mm -hmm. enforcement.
1: That is true. We should mention that Tilly did ask Michael to get a sample of this uh, asteroid because Mm -hmm. there were things about it that didn't make sense. Michael tried to get a sample of it. Well, they get everybody out with transport enhancers, et cetera, and then right as the final group is leaving – Something blows, Michael's rewiring it, and she can't get back to the transporter in time because something shifts. She gets blown out the door, the door's shut, and she can't access that room anymore. So she's making a big run for it, Mm -hmm. and there's just stuff falling everywhere. And I know that Sonequa Martin-Green was never in any physical danger Those were two different environments that were blended together to make it look very real. But it looks so real, you guys. It just scares me every time, even though I know it's fine. She does get hit. And when she wakes up, there's a big steaming spike of rock to her leg.
0: So gross. Oh,
2: it's like that scene in The Mm -hmm. Martian.
1: (laughs) It just, it hurts me. It hurts me just talking about it. She's now wounded. She can't run. She thinks she's going to die. And then she sees a thing.
0: We get our first red angel sighting. Yeah, a red glowing yep. thing. That we're aware of.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting with a lot of the red angel appearances that there's kind of an ethereal choir or solo mm-hmm. thing going on vocally, mm-hmm. So, which I really like. You see this figure that looks like it's coming towards her, and it does look like it has some kind of wings. And she's just kind of staring at it and not believing what she sees, and then all of a sudden Pike looks like he's running through it. Of course, we know that that was actually just her blipping out of that timeline and going back to the next stop. We'll get to that in part two of the retrospective. Michael makes it back with Pike's help, is not a good patient, according to... Dr. Pollard, we get a name now. Dr. Pollard, yeah. No, we had had her named in season one. In season one? She was named in season one. All right. uh, But she explains to Tilly that she had the sample in her hand, but it didn't transport with her. And they discovered that that means it had dark matter. Tilly hatches a plan to get a chunk of asteroid. Mm-hmm. Stamets is now finally processing all of his feelings about Hugh's death and being alone. And he is not doing so well.
0: No, he wants to leave.
1: That's completely understandable. Tilly, of course, is not willing to let him go easily. And she tries to console him because he says, you know, this place is haunted to me now. And she's like, well, maybe it's haunted in like a good way. And, and he stops her and he says, Tilly, you are. And she just braces for an attack because that's what she's used to. <laughs> and then he softens and he says, incandescent. And I'm like, "No." <laughs> did oh, you love you. the
0: the letter that he was watching from Hugh? Yeah, that was so beautiful. Yeah, I love it when you do things for me.
1: Oh. Yeah. He does tell Tilly, you know, you're going to make a great captain because you do everything. Everything you do comes from love. But he does tell her to, she said, repeat after me. I will say, I will say fewer things, fewer things. I don't thi-. and like that. And I'm just that. like, I don't either. Because I'm like, Mm-mm. Tilly, you just keep on talking, girl. You talk as much as you want.
0: I generally don't like a lot of the way that the crew treats Tilly in the first half of season two. And in this episode, especially, I don't like that. It's like second guessy Tilly again and that they're, you know, laughing and rolling their eyes at her and stuff. I'm just like, come on. It it rubs me the wrong way.
1: It does me as well, but they don't understand yet. They haven't seen everything that Tilly has done. They don't know everything that she is responsible for yet. Well, they've seen
0: her act like Killy, which was no easy feat.
1: They didn't see how hard she fought for Stamets in season one. They weren't witness to that. You know, that was Mm -hmm. something going on outside of their purview. They don't really understand yet the magic that is Miss Sylvia Tilly. And Stamets sees Tilly walking by and asking for, you know, a gravity generator. And he's just kind of like, what the what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's like, I want to play. (laughs) I want to know what's going on. And so he shows up in the shuttle bay and he's like... Something's going on, and I wasn't invited. And she's like, oh, you are so invited. <laughs> Basically, with some good piloting from Detmer and some very good calculations of math and velocity and et cetera, managed to capture a pretty big chunk of that asteroid and do some damage to the shuttle bay. But it's just cosmetic. I don't yeah. know that it's just cosmetic. Now we're, we're going to start researching this, And now Pike's mission is over, because his mission was to find this red signal. And they went there, they found Jet Reno, and he thinks that's the end of it. He's like, well, okay, I'm done. Turns out, no, he's not done. (laughs) That Starfleet Command makes him captain of that ship for the foreseeable future to figure out the rest of this mystery and burnham does go to pike and says that she had expected to see spock earlier on and afterwards he finally confesses that because she wants to go to enterprise before they leave her behind and he says spock isn't there and explains you know a few months back he, he, something in him changed like he came up against a question he couldn't answer and he asked me for leave and i gave it to him she's like i still want to go over there and so he allows her to do that which was a really nice editing scene because you see her standing in front of the turbo lift and then all of a sudden she's standing in front of spock's quarters that was cool we go into spock's quarters and oh the easter eggs in there Mm -hmm. it was beautifully done so she goes and she listens to his last personal log. And that's when I just start to melt and die because of his voice. I'm just like, thank you.
0: We've talked about this before, Brandy, about how Ethan Peck just really nailed the cadence of Leonard Nimoy's voice.
1: He is so good that I can watch anything original series and just slot him in and it's fine. It works. Hmm. It's perfect. He did a very careful study of Leonard Nimoy. He read both of his books, I Am Spock and I Am Not Spock, I've mentioned this before, but anyone who thinks that I Am Not Spock is about him distancing himself from Spock, you could not be more wrong. And in preparing for his his regular role in Strange New Worlds, he's now reading ancient philosophy.
0: Nice. I, in this episode, I start, and it's continued from season one, I'm starting to right now develop this kind of like really fascinating love affair with Sarek. Mm-hmm. And I'm exploring that right now because, like, especially in this episode, he tells Michael that he wanted her to teach Spock empathy. At one point, he says, I can hear the missing notes, which I really love that phrase. I think Mm -hmm. that's so poetic. So there'll be more on my Sarek thoughts as we continue.
1: Yes. Oh, I love (laughs) Sarek. I love this interpretation of him. And I think that James Rayne is excellent at it. We
0: also seen... Nielsen, for the first time in this episode, formerly known as Arium. We saw George Alavizos again mm-hmm. in the hall.
1: And we'll see him again later mm-hmm. on. I forgot to mention there have been some flashbacks to when Michael was a child and showing up for the first time at Spock's and Sarah's and Amanda's house. Those are going to be peppered throughout for a while. Mm-hmm. Whoever that young girl is to, that plays the young Michael perfectly cast in my opinion tiny spock is tiny spock <laughs> he's an adorable kid
2: he was in sabrina uh oh.
1: i haven't seen that
2: he played a little ghost boy i can see that because i get very little ghost boy <laughs> vibes from him it looks like <laughs> something out of jay horror you know the yeah the kid that's a little eerie a little adult a little too quiet for his own good spooky kid yeah that's liam that's what i would have cast the boy as that's a ghost boy little damien boy
1: I'm looking for a ghost boy. Another thing we find out from this first episode, it is so chock full of stuff without being exposition-y at the same time, which is really impressive. We find out there's a chasm between Michael and Spock, which we kind of already figured because otherwise we might have seen him sooner than this. After listening to that log, Michael understands that Spock actually saw these signals before they happened. And the game is afoot, as they say in Sherlock Holmes, but that's kind of where we end that episode as Michael figuring out that the information was encoded in that log in the same way that he used to draw when he was a kid. He used to draw his nightmares to take their power away. He could make them in sort, into sort of a three-dimensional hologram sort of thing. Anyway... We spent a lot of time on episode one, but it's... Well,
0: it's like a movie.
1: We're already off to a fantastic start of season two. I love the new characters. I love the relationship between Michael and Saru now. They're comfortable. They work well together. He's been a good commanding officer and they respect each other and their Mm -hmm. family now in a way that they were not before. You can tell when Saru knows that something is up. With Michael whether she admits it or not
0: and vice versa
1: yeah because when they're going down to the transporter pad air transporter room I should say and he says hmm, you're kind of agitated and she's like no I'm I am on task I'm in problem solving mode and he's like hmm. mm. <laughs>
0: yeah or when Pike takes over the captain's chair and Michael looks at Saru kind of in a little Mm-hmm. a little bit of empathy because Saru's is giving up the chair now.
1: But Saru is fine with it. He is a very different person than he was at the beginning of season one. Yeah. He has learned that his abilities are well suited to being a commanding officer and that he is not less than simply because they've put Pike in command of Discovery.
2: Well, it's like we said before is that he's the older brother playing dad temporarily <laughs> until they could find a new dad for a little while. Yep,
1: he's Daddy Pike.
2: Daddy Pike.
1: He can be Daddy Pike anytime he wants. Okay, that sounded wrong.
0: No, that's that sounded right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course you'd say that. <laughs> New Eden, we get another signal right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And we know that there are seven signals, and we know that there are 14 episodes. And so it's kind of like, how many signals are they going to go after, like episode per episode?
0: We get another Culber next snap, number seven.
1: The new signal appears in the beta quadrant over a planet that they don't know about. And so they're going to have to use that spore drive. And so Stamets has got to do that thing. And he doesn't want to do that thing because he thinks he'll see Hugh in the network or he thinks he might not see Hugh in the network. And either way, he's going to be upset by that. But he's got to do it. There's no way to get there in the lifetime of their grandchildren, really. So they got to use the spore drive. Pike has never experienced the spore drive. (laughs) And I love how he says... If you're telling me that we're going to skip across the galaxy on a network of mushrooms, I kind of have to take it on faith. <laughs> <laughs> they do their first jump of season two. And when they arrive at Terra Elysium, Pike's like, Ugh! wow. <laughs> and so is like, you never forget your first.
2: <laughs> what a great name for the planet, too, because it's Terra for Earth and Elysium like heaven. So it's like heaven mm. on Earth. Oh. Yep.
0: And we also find out that there was an angel yeah. citing World War three,
1: yep, and that these people were somehow transported to this planet across into another freaking quadrant, mm-hmm. and that they're human. I love the whole mixing all religions into one and in their patchwork Bible, yeah, <laughs> that actually I found really interesting.
2: I didn't see any Taoism there. well,
1: is Taoism <laughs> so much a religion?
2: yeah, it has religious is- practices.
1: Yeah, but is it an organized religion? Like you can join. Mm, but it's not Wicca. Really. Yeah, <laughs> too? No, that's probably why Wicca okay. kind of is.
2: I mean, there's Taoist priests, and there's you know some organized religions and festivals and stuff like that. But it's they don't proselytize. They don't you know go yeah. out and do missionary work or anything like other religions do.
1: It's not like your typical Christianity yeah. and Judaism.
2: Well, you could say the same and... thing with Judaism. You have to want to be a Jew to become a Jew. Yeah, they'll actually deny you like three times before you can convert to Judaism.
1: Really? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I like that they normalized Wicca. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. Because, you know, there's still this idea that Wicca is this horrible devil worship and nothing could be further from the truth. So.
2: It's just neo-paganism.
1: Yeah. They worship nature. Yeah. The energy of nature and life. I like that they Mm -hmm. refer
0: to the all-mother in this episode. Yeah. And it reminds mm-hmm. me of Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance for the all Madra.
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: I really like that.
1: The ladies in charge. Ladies make good leaders. Oh, speaking of
2: ladies who we'll get to find out a Wojcikan comes from a Luddite family. Mm-hmm.
1: That was interesting. I never would have guessed that. So it was nice to get a little backstory on her. Yeah. And she does get to play a big role in this yeah. episode, which is nice.
2: So she must have been quite a rebel if she's joining Starfleet to run ops or what have you.
1: We can cover that in Such Sweet Sorrow, mm-hmm. part one, how her family reacted. So, because she talks about that in her message to them. I
0: find in this episode, mm-hmm. I'm really starting to like the interplay between Pike and Burnham and how mm-hmm. Burnham keeps the fact that she saw the angel from him and Pike can tell that Michael is keeping something from him. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't, he lets it yeah. go.
1: I think that he can read people yeah. very well at this point. He knows that she doesn't completely trust him yet. And so he's willing to wait for that. He does have the chance to pay that back to her later when he's asking her all of these questions about Georgiou and what's going on there. And she tells him, this is a longer conversation. I am asking you to trust me. And so he does. He backs off. And he says, but he does reiterate that he won't wait forever for those answers. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I'm assuming at some point off screen, Michael does tell him the whole story of Emperor Georgiou, which is why he was absolutely not surprised later when she reveals that. But that will come yeah. in next episode. <laughs> so we had a problem to solve with the first signal. Now we've got a problem to solve with the second signal. There's a bunch of debris that is heading towards the planet that is basically going to be an extinction level event when it hits. It will destroy all of the humans currently there. It's super handy that they have this giant asteroid in the shuttle bay that has enough gravity to drag those particles out of the way.
0: It's almost like someone set this up.
1: I know, right? Yeah. So <laughs> weird. weird how that works. What a coincidence. I just had I this know. image
2: of my head as the raid angel is like a red pin in a script tying everything together. It's <laughs> like, okay, we got this, we need to lead to this plot point, we need to lead to this plot point, which is basically what's going on.
1: It's like one of those boards with all the clues, and then they're just putting red The red angel is the red string connecting them all. (laughs) Yep, exactly. (laughs) This is the episode where Tilly starts to think she's going insane.
0: Right. Oh, yeah, we see May.
1: I totally understand why she would not tell anyone about this because she is now in the command training program and she's afraid that that will jeopardize things she doesn't want to be seen as mentally unfit for duty it isn't until later when she finds out that may is dead that she really freaks out but it's tilly's idea to use that asteroid to get those particles out of the way of the planet so that the people down there will survive. Now there are some people who will argue that this is a violation of the Prime Directive but I don't really see it that way. These people are already there from a violation of the Prime Directive Mm -hmm. that hadn't existed at that time.
0: And there's more to come in the season.
1: (laughs) I don't care. Saru determines that this is why they were there so he takes care of business and Detmer gets to do a donut. In a spaceship.
0: She did get her pilot's and license at a very young age.
1: I think 12 is what she said. I can't She's remember. She's had her pilot's license since she was 12. I do like that there's the one guy down on Terralisium that absolutely knows that they are not who they, say
0: oh, they, yeah. they are. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Jacob.
1: He comes from the family of many scientists, and he is not fooled by them. He's not fooled by how their hands aren't scarred and rough because of manual labor. He's very good at deductive reasoning, and he puts two and two together. They really shouldn't have taken phasers down there, should they? Because (laughs) the little girl is playing with one, and Pike jumps on it, and it goes off in his chest.
0: And he almost dies.
1: (sighs) He almost dies.
0: Question for you. Do we think somehow New Eden is involved with season three? Or are we going to see them again somehow? We're we gonna. Are we going to return to them?
2: Just a just a random thought. That's already been acknowledged. Has it? Yes, it's been set up for a safe place in the future that they can go to.
1: That's where they were heading. Yeah. Okay. They weren't just going through the wormhole to go through the wormhole, because Michael was. <laughs> <laughs> Michael was talking about how what each signal meant is we did this to get jet Oh right. we did this to identify safe harbor once we got to the future because they needed to be on a planet where there was no technology where they wouldn't be detected oh yeah because how would they suddenly explain is hi uh, hey we're guys here
2: so so it's been a thousand years but does leaving them a power core does that upset them not having technology it's just a battery just to keep the lights on
1: and they had batteries before that they had used
2: and this probably works off a chemical process anyway it's not something electronic with electronic information no there's no signal given or received
1: nope it'll and it'll last for a long time so i like that once pike returns and actually comes clean with jacob he's okay with just knowing he was right that's all he Mm -hmm. needed you know, they weren't going to rescue them. They were going to, in that regard, obey the prime directive and allow their culture to develop as they saw fit instead of reintegrating them into a future that would probably just really freak most of them out. They've taken
2: people out of time before or out of place or taken them up on the ship. First contacts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lily
1: ended up yeah. on the ship. Alfred
2: Woodard. Also, Voyage Home, I think, had that too.
1: Yeah, Jillian. She ended up in the yep. future.
2: Yeah. So it's not something they don't ever do.
0: Oh, it happened in TNG a few times.
1: And yeah. Jillian had no family. So there was no one right. really to miss her. Anyone who had known her would probably think she just was so upset about over the whales being released into the wild that she just dropped off the face of the earth or whatever. You know, they had plenty of explanations for why she wasn't around anymore.
0: They broke the temporal prime directive for sure. Yeah. yeah. But they had to to save the universe, yes, to save Earth. exactly.
1: In this case, they're literally saving the universe. They just don't know that yet.
2: It's like the Queen song, "Saviors of the Universe.
1: That's from Flash. Uh-huh. Aww. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> It'll save every one of us. I'm sorry. I suddenly went into that song. Michael does finally come clean in this episode about the Red Angel. She, she comes to Pike. This is after, of course, he's been hurt and he's got broken ribs, which will hurt for a long time. When she comes in, he asks her to please not make him laugh. And she says, well, fortunately for you, I was raised on Vulcan. We don't do funny. And then he laughs. (laughs) Of course, he laughs. laughs. She admits that she saw the red angel. And he asks why she kept it from him. And she said that she thought she was hallucinating. And they're kind of having this theology versus science tug of war in this episode. Pike has experience in both Right. Whereas Michael is just firmly in the science camp and doesn't think outside of that.
0: I think that they let go of that with Pike, too, like talking about the religion-y thing.
1: Yeah. Pike's immediately ascribing motivation to the Red Angel. And Michael's like, there's nothing to indicate that. She's being very specifically scientific about this. In fact, she's kind of she's almost kind of pissed off. (laughs) At <laughs> The Red Angel oh, yeah. for not being explainable and her not being able to understand. She doesn't have enough to work with here. Mm-hmm. Michael does find out that Spock is in a psychiatric facility and he checked himself in there. Michael is very upset that she wasn't told because that was the first thing is that the family is supposed to be told. And he says, unless the patient declines to have that done. And so Spock obviously didn't want any of the family to know. That's upsetting to Michael this is going to continue in episode three, which is Point of Light, where we're going to find out why suddenly Spock is persona non grata. So let's head into that, because this one has a lot of Klingon stuff in it, as well as stuff going on on the ship.
0: Yeah, I like this episode a lot.
1: We finally get to see what's going on back on Konos with uh, Lorel and Tyler. And there are still Klingons who are just pissed off at her and pissed off that there's mm-hmm. a human there even though he's not human and they just won't accept him and
0: Laurel has quite a glow up in this episode
1: she has had a lot of that yeah. scarring uh, repaired i mean there's still a little bit mm-hmm. when you see her in certain light
0: her skin is less yeah. modeled she's got this gorgeous outfits and
1: she's got hair now you know because, mm-hmm. And anyone who is complaining about their hair growing so fast, it was established in T and G, if I remember correctly, that you can stimulate hair growth. Oh, yeah. Barbers can do stuff like that. Just calm down about that.
2: It was the Bullion barber. We're also introduced to Mr. spy paint.
1: Yeah, spy paint.
0: Oh, yeah, spy paint. <laughs>
1: that, that would make a good episode title. Spy paint? <laughs> spy
3: paint.
0: Oh, how cool was the the Burnham Tyler chat scene? I love it, where they that. went back and forth in the perspectives. Yes. love it. Mm-hmm.
1: That was very well filmed. I loved how they yeah. did that, and the editing of that together was also really well done.
0: Yeah, oh, uh, that was cool.
1: Now we have Coleshaw, the second Klingon that Kenneth Mitchell has played. Yeah, apparently the uncle of coal is that correct or is it the, the father that's the
3: father
0: the
1: father i'm getting confused it's laurel's uncle that's hiding the baby oh yeah there's a baby oh
2: yeah there's a baby
1: there's a baby
2: in a cauldron
1: it basically looks exactly the way i would envision a klingon cradle to look right because yeah. they're not touchy feely coddling sort of people
2: <laughs> nurturing after you've raised your baby to a toddler then you could use
1: it for an outdoor campsite mm-hmm. it makes a nice fire pit
0: I also like that Laurel's like, I ain't carrying this baby. Like, she didn't even have it, and she didn't even carry it.
1: Well, really, yeah. she couldn't. I mean, she would have been endangering yeah. the child if she had carried it. So, you
0: know, That would have caused a lot of controversy in the yeah. Empire.
1: Yeah, a ton.
2: So, Klingon test tube baby.
1: No, she wasn't really. It The baby well. was conceived in the original <laughs> way, but then developed... Outside of her uterus, which is why he was so small. She explains that in the episode. We've got the Klingon stuff going on. Lorel is upset that Tyler doesn't love her like Valk did, and she's having trouble with that.
0: That's a creepy scene to me.
1: You know, I get it though. I understand where she's coming from. Yeah. And at the same time, I understand all
2: sides. Yeah. Yeah, you see that with Michael, too. Anytime he taps into that Klingon part of mm-hmm. him, she gets weirded out, too. That she starts kind of looking at him like he's a stranger, but he still has Tyler's eyes.
1: She doesn't know that part of him. She just knew Ash. Yeah.
2: He's a person without a home, which is why I think he gets attracted to, you know, where he goes later. Mm-hmm. That
1: happens in this episode. Mm-hmm. Coleshaw tricks uh, Ash into touching his face paint, which has little. Nanites or whatever the hell it is, I mean, yeah. it allows them to listen into the conversations, <laughs> and that's how they find out that there's a baby. Baby. Colshaw decides he's going to kidnap said baby and force Lorel to abdicate and make him chancellor. That doesn't go well. That
0: does not go well for him. <laughs> no, it, does, it not. does not. Goes it, well for the fly.
1: Yeah, it looks like it's going to actually happen but at the last moment somebody else shows up somebody that we've seen in a hooded cloak darting from here to there
0: i didn't realize that until this rewatch that georgia was already there before in the baby mm-hmm. room mm-hmm. disguised there in the room with the cloak i didn't realize that i thought it was just a random person showing up she was there the whole time
1: yeah, she knew everything.
0: I she didn't everything. notice that. And I saw this episode like four times when it, <laughs> you know, within the past year and a half.
1: I've seen it more times than that. I've lost count. I probably count. have two. It's probably double digits now.
2: Because of Spock.
1: It's not just because <laughs> of Spock. It's also a because of, of Pike. <laughs> Giorgio shows up, or appears rather, in the nick of time. I shouldn't say shows up; she was already there. She appears in the nick of time, takes down Colshaw uh, and he had had them basically paralyzed and was going to let them suffocate. Giorgio releases them, allows Lorel to kill Colshaw.
0: And fun fact: in the Klingon fight, Alex Kurtzman was the one who requested to Jeff Russo, the composer, that there be an electric guitar kind of power yeah. chord in that fight. Oh, wow. And if you listen to There Are Four Questions, episode one, you can hear
1: that story. Yes, nice plug. And it's <laughs> a great story as well. And it's a great soundtrack.
3: Yes. So
1: all of the great things. I'm just going to go through all the Klingon stuff and then we'll focus on the Discovery stuff. Giorgios like, yeah, you can't, you can't have these guys. You can't have them. They have to go because you have to stay in power and you can't stay in power with those guys here. They make it look like she has killed Tyler for killing their baby, <laughs> and then deems herself mother.
2: Yeah, they went to Tom Savini and got special effects done <laughs> to get severed heads <laughs> they for were, her to toss. They oh. were unfortunately really, they were really, really good. Well
1: done. So
0: good, yeah, just
1: <laughs> uncomfortably good. But you guys
0: knew that that I mean nobody really thought that that was real, right? Oh no, When you were watching no, no, no. it the first time, okay.
1: No, of course not. Of yeah. course not. Not even Giorgio would do that. Well, yeah, well, well no, she she might, but not not to humans. <laughs> <laughs> or probably not even to Klingons. C- it depends on how pissed off she was. She uh, has made everyone believe that there is no baby. There is no more Ash Tyler slash Vok. Uh, we see Ash Tyler with the baby on a Section 31 ship mm-hmm. because Georgiou has allied herself with Section 31 and she's basically <laughs> recruiting him.
2: And I love how she looks so tenderly at the baby. And then when they catch her gay, she looks all hard again. Mm-hmm. She You're makes right.
1: eyes at the baby. And I noticed yep. that the very first time that oh, I yeah. saw this episode. I thought that was, that was just brilliant. Oh, Michelle Yo. You're so wonderful. And this is also the first time that we see Leland. Oh,
2: yes. What an That's actor. Right. Well,
0: the... except for when he recruited Giorgio in the bonus footage yeah. after season one.
1: Yes, but mm-hmm. we yeah. don't, didn't have that bonus footage yet. So this is the first time that we see Leland in this season. Mm-hmm. And he is the head of Section 31 and does not like Giorgio and thinks nope. that she's overstepping. Now we're going to get a lot of In My Universe, which I I love. I think it is the funniest thing. It's like an old person going, back in my day. But it's Giorgio going, in my universe, I did this. In my universe, I wouldn't have let this happen. In my universe, I blew them and their stupid stinging plants off the face of the planet. She's always talking about how the way things were in her universe.
0: Oh, she's up. <laughs> getting ready to take things
2: over.
1: But she does that in season one as well. And she mm-hmm. continues to do that through pretty much all of season two. There is one point where Leland calls her on that, but it's not in this episode. Let's go back to what's going on on Discovery. Amanda beams aboard and says that she needs Michael's help. And she wants Michael to break into Spock's medical files. Which would be a very bad thing for Michael to do, considering her history. Even though her mm-hmm. record has been expunged, she makes another mistake like that. She will be gone for good. She's like, uh, we got to talk to the captain. They talk to the captain. And I love how they're having this conversation and Michael is just persistent. And he says, was she this stubborn when she was a child? And Amanda said, we call it persistent. And yes, she was.
3: Yeah, I like that. <laughs>
1: Ladies unite. He finally gets in touch with a friend of his and finds out that Spock is wanted for the murder of three medical officers at the psych facility and that he has escaped and they're looking for him. Obviously, Amanda doesn't believe it. Michael does not believe it. They express how much they don't believe it and that that is just not Spock at all. And he did not do this. And Pike says, that makes three of us because he's going to take the fall if it goes horribly wrong. He orders her to break into the file to protect her from any punishment that might come of that. And I'm just like, Daddy Pike taking care of his kids still early on. And he's just taking care of those kids. (laughs) on another level we've got Tilly going through some command training program stuff like they're doing a half marathon running around the ship may is harassing Tilly the whole time while she's trying to focus and she even gets behind but manages to still win the marathon yeah and sets a record <laughs> yeah, for the I best still time. think that's weird <laughs> I think it's beca- it it has to do with lapping because they can't run like in a a specific course they have to run around the ship and it is possible Uh that she might have lapped some people so it would look like you know she actually wasn't
0: oh okay you know i'm just in my head she just was so pissed off at may that it just made her run even faster and faster and faster it was like an adrenaline boost get me the heck away from her
1: that too you know michael comes by congratulates her that's the point where tilly should tell michael but doesn't then, May really ramps it up when they're doing shadow exercises and she's shadowing the captain. She shouts at May and basically makes herself look crazy and then has a breakdown and quits. Quits and the command training leaves. program, leaves. Yeah,
2: and how May's saying, That's mm-hmm. not the captain, oh, that's an imposter. I don't know who is that he's is. He's
1: shorter and blonder <laughs> and whiter. <laughs> I love her accent
2: so much. It's so
1: great. Yep. It's yeah. so great. Burnham is now confronted by what she did to cause this rift between her and Spock. And she admits to Amanda that she did something horrible, that she had to hurt him so deeply that he wouldn't come near her again. And Amanda asks her what she did and you get some marvelous sinequa face acting. Yeah. <laughs> Just fantastic. Communicating so many things without saying a word.
0: And us not knowing what it is.
1: We don't know what it is, but we can tell it's terrible. And Amanda is not happy.
0: She's not pleased.
1: She's not petty at this point. she will be later. <laughs> but, you know, Michael says that she's going to find Spock and deal with this. And Amanda's like, no, I will. And she takes the medical files and she leaves. Michael is upset
0: Oh, and we learned that Spock saw the red angel when he was a little boy.
1: Well, we knew that from his logs. But in any case, there were drawings. There were lots of drawings and information. Michael goes back to her quarters, and she's upset. And Tilly is there and comes in, and she's upset. And Michael just really wants, she needs a problem she can solve. And she also wants to help her friend. And so she's finally just like... Tell me what is going on. And so Tilly starts explaining about seeing May. The big clue comes when May's like, why is there water leaking out of your eyes? Tilly kind of chuckles and Michael's like, what? And she says, she doesn't know what crying is. And Michael's just like, this is not a human. This is not a a girl. Cause show me a teenage girl who's never cried. You can't. (laughs) The more that they talk the more she realizes there is something going on. She says, no, you don't need sick bay. You need Stamets. You need Stamets.
0: I love this moment because it's like what happened in season one when Stamets didn't need a doctor. He needed Tilly to help mm-hmm. to put the network back inside him. It's like the flip.
1: Oh, yeah. She goes down to Stamets and Saru is there and witnessing what's going on and... Saru's like, well, we're going to get you back in the command training program. And she's like, are you sure Pike's going to allow that? And he's like, well, I may not know our new captain well, but I think he has a sense of humor. (laughs) They find this organism inside her that is manifesting as May. Stamets is going to use the dark matter to get it out of her. And so they Mm -hmm. get it out of her. And it's kind of an interesting kind of juicy blobby thing.
2: (laughs) This may sting
1: a bit. (laughs) No, he did tell her it would hurt. Yeah, this is the first time we really hear about control, the threat assessment system, as far as television in this uh, this particular series. I know it's been a big part of the books. I don't right. know if it's the same system, but could be. Let's talk about Obal for Karen.
0: Number one, number one, number one. We get number <laughs> one. We get number we get... one.
1: Yes, we get our first appearance of Rebecca Romaine,
0: And what an incredible transport in. That was beautifully done.
1: Just her walking, just the expression on her face, the walk and talk as they're headed to the mess hall. I'm just like, yep, this is number one. I am great with this.
0: And I've always loved Rebecca Romaine, but not like this. Like, she's something even more special to me now.
1: I love that she and her husband have arguments about who is the better number one. She says it is she herself. Is. And she yes. is. She she's is. Correct. She has She has laid down the law that it is she who is the top number one <laughs> in their house, not compared to the rest of the number ones outside of their house, because then she has oh, to go no. up against Frakes.
0: Huh. Interesting. <laughs> I'd say they're pretty evenly matched.
1: It's hard to say.
0: But he's a dude, so she's a lot stronger than he is in many ways.
1: <laughs> this is true. This is true. And we're finally going to get backstory on her in uh, Strange New Worlds. Oh, ball for Karen. This one requires several tissues for Brandy. This is uh, one of Brandy's many cry points. There are several cry points during this episode. Two stories going on. We come upon a sphere, a big old sphere oh, yeah. who makes weird noises. At the same time, Saru gets sick. They're trying to figure out what to do about the Red Angel stuff when the sphere shows up. And it is pilling discovery towards them. They can't do anything to break free. Suddenly, the Universal Translator has gone wonky. Very, very wonky. And everybody's speaking a different language. Their displays are in different languages, etc. Michael immediately knows one thing that will help. And she just gets on the con and says, Saru. He comes to the bridge and everybody's speaking like there I don't know how many different languages we heard during this whole sequence. Yeah,
2: no idea. I no, I heard Russian.
1: And she and Michael is speaking to him in Mandarin. And so Klingon, she's explaining what's French, going on. French,
0: Italian, different dialects.
1: When she's explaining it to him, he says, Yes, I have eyes and ears, Berna. He's catty Saru right now, because he mm-hmm. doesn't feel good. Yeah. He manages to stabilize everything on the bridge so that they can communicate again, but this virus quote unquote, that the sphere is transmitting, is messing with the communication and the universal translators on the rest of the ships. Saru says he's going to help with that. They manage to stabilize that. And then uh, Saru is not well, like super not well. Michael makes him go to sickbay. They make him confess that He knows what he's going through, and it's called Vaharai, and it's going to result in his death, and there is nothing that they can do to stop it. This is where we find out that this is the process that happens when the Ba'ul is like, oh, you're about to go into Vaharai. Well, it's time for you to die, so we're just going to cull you. That's how they know it's their time to die, because they've been fed lies for generations and generations. While that's going on, uh, Tilly is trying to figure out what the hell is going on with this organism along with Stamets and Jet Reno. It's fun to watch Stamets and Reno interact because they are so similar that they rub each other the wrong way. Yeah,
0: yeah, I have thoughts about that dynamic, that relationship that I'm not sure if it's worth getting into on this episode.
1: Oh, we'll talk about it later. We'll have plenty of time later.
0: Because. It's obviously going to carry over into season three.
1: We find out more about Tilly's childhood. She claims she was a weird kid, didn't have many friends. Boy, do I know how that feels. She feels like she betrayed the real May by not even knowing that she had died and not being, you know, as good of a friend to her as she could. Things are going on with that organism, it's getting bigger. And it really wants to get to Tilly. Whatever May wants, they don't know what May wants. But Tilly's the only one who can do it, according to me. But we'll find that out a bit later. Number one did come onto the ship for a reason because she had found Spock's shuttle, and Discovery was trying to track that shuttle when the Sphere came into their path. This is emotional for me in many ways. It was really hard for me to watch. Um, First. Stamets to drill into Tilly's head so they Oh my god. And yeah, that was yeah, intense. And I didn't he, like that. It's hard. It was one of those things where they had no choice because they Why? were shut off. They were closed off from the rest of the ship and they had no other way to communicate with me.
0: But then they had a med kit afterwards.
1: The, yes, but the med kit did not have a laser scalpel in it. Fine. That was the whole point. <laughs> They talk about that. What killed
2: me is they didn't even brace her head. Yeah, right. She could have just reacted as soon as it got on there and they could have nicked her or something.
1: Nope, because Tilly's a badass. He's like, hey, kiddo,
2: what's your favorite
1: song? She's like, what? Your favorite song. Sing it for me. And so she starts singing Space Oddity. Good to hear some Bowie. And I'm just like, oh, Bowie reference. They get that little implant in there and they're able to talk to May. And May is angry. And when she explains what's happening to the Josep, which are her people, it's kind of understandable why she's angry. She won't tell them why she needs Tilly, just that it's only Tilly that can help her. Eventually, this organism completely overtakes her and envelops her. And they try to get her out of it. They do get her out of it. But then Tilly's like, something's wrong here. It shouldn't have been this easy. And this goo emits this hallucinogen into the air. And while Stamets and Reno are basically tripping out, Tilly's gone. She's been taken somewhere. So back to the sphere. Both Michael and Saru work together and eventually find out that the sphere is trying to tell them things. That it's trying to communicate. Once they realize that and just allow it to take control of the ship, it transmits all of its data that it's accumulated throughout its life. Tons and tons of data and then explodes. But it's, its last thing was to push them out of harm's way so that they wouldn't be destroyed.
0: Before we got to the big moment, mm-hmm. there's a part in this episode that I really like, which goes back to the relationship with Pike and Burnham, in which Burnham is asking Pike to trust her, but Pike says that his trust in her doesn't eclipse the mission when it has to do with the Spock situation and all that. And I just, I like seeing that develop a little more.
1: They're getting closer. Burnham decides that when they catch up to Spock, you know, when they catch up to Spock, that she does not want to be involved with that. That She needs to remove herself from that situation. And he thinks it's the wrong choice, but he's not going to try and change her mind. That's her decision. Now she's going through this thing with Saru because he has asked her to be with him as he dies. He needs her to cut off his ganglia so that he won't go mad and suffer with this sister's, sister's knife. Mm-hmm.
2: Ceremonial Which we saw in the short trick,
1: um, the Brightest Star.
0: When it was the Shenzhou that picked him up, but now it's the Archimedes. They retconned that for this. Metconned. Retconned. Retconned. Yes, re- retconned. ret-conned. Metcon is a
2: workout. Retconned. <laughs> yeah. Retroactive continuity. Yes. Is that what it stands for? Yes. Yep. Oh, wow.
1: You didn't know that?
0: Nope. No idea. Yeah, you do.
1: This very emotional scene of Michael and Saru saying goodbye, and it makes me ugly cry. I cried the
0: first time I watched it. I thought we were going to lose him. I really did for a little bit.
1: Even knowing that he isn't going to die, I still ugly cry. Mm-hmm. It's just everything they've been through and this relationship they have now is just so beautiful. I'm getting emotional just talking about it. When brandy cries. Yep. Sorry. (laughs) So she's finally girded her loins, and she doesn't want to do this. She doesn't want to cut off his ganglia, but she doesn't want him to suffer either. And so she goes to cut them off, and they shrivel up and fall off in her hand.
2: It's so weird. Don't they even
1: turn black? (laughs) They don't really turn black. They just they just look kind of. That material you make dentures out of, you know, the gum part, is kind of what it looks like.
2: Gotta admit, for an alien race, they are very alien. Mm -hmm.
1: One of the most alien (laughs) aliens we've ever had as a main cast member. His uh, ganglia have fallen out, and he's not dead.
2: And he even gets kind of aggressive, because he's not living with fear anymore. We get to see him shirtless, too. Mm
1: Yeah, that was a makeup yeah. job and a half because just what oh, it goes yeah. through just for the yeah. for the head and neck and then to have the whole chest too. Good God. The makeup department outdid themselves. I bet it <laughs> so, took a long
0: time to yeah. get that on. That whatever, however they made it, it must have mm-hmm. taken a long time to get in that.
1: I would think that it was probably made somewhat like a shirt because his, hand, yeah. his hands are like gloves. Mm-hmm. And that it went on, it was probably a couple of pieces. I don't know. I have yet to watch the season two bonus features of the the Blu-ray. So I will get back to you on that. I'm sure they'll talk about that. So they go to Dr. Pollard. Dr. Pollard says, you're fine. They ask him how he feels. And he says that he feels powerful. And that the fear that has been present throughout his entire life is gone. And now he's realizing that his people have been told a lie. Four generations He's a lie. Fake. Yeah. They've been needlessly slaughtered for... It's fake! Stop it. <laughs> you have to say, it's a fake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, we're referencing it in the pale moonlight during one of the worst line deliveries in Deep Space Nine, in my opinion. But anyway. <laughs>
2: oh, that's notorious.
1: So now we've got Angry Saru, and we've got Tilly Missing. And we've got sensor data from the sphere showing them where Spock's shuttle went.
2: Sensor data. Sensor. Sensor. I
1: say it like Spock. Sensor data. (laughs) They find the shuttle information. Burnham goes to Pike with that. And she tells him that she has had a change of heart and does want to be involved in Spock's rescue, I guess, is the right word to say. Tilly ends up in the mycelial network. Stamets and Burnham go to rescue her, which I love that they're just like, nope. Nope. She's alive, we're gonna find her, and they prove their point. And Pike's just like, This sounds like a terrible idea. I love that Stamets is the one leading the charge. You know, Tilly needs him, and mm-hmm. he is not going to abandon her.
0: There's this whole we don't leave anyone behind thing that starts yeah. you know, mm-hmm. being a, a big thread with yes. Starfleet in this series season.
1: They're going to go after her. One of the most amazing sequences of visual effects that I have ever seen. The half jump. Oh, my God. <sighs> oh, it
0: is my God. so amazing. That was cool. So amazing. The first time I saw this episode, I thought the whole idea was a little far-fetched. But now that I've watched it several times and I just kind of let myself not overthink it all, mm-hmm. it's really cool.
1: It is. And the sound. The sound is amazing. Just the ship groaning because it's not supposed to be doing what it's doing.
0: Right. Right. Oh, this is also season three related. But if you notice the little spores that are kind of like, it looks like there's a little web of spores and they're little points of light all over, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're on the ship. In the season three trailer, when they're in the Trill cave with the bath, those same things are on the wall. In the Trill Cave. I don't know if it's related or Mm. not, or if it's just that's what it looks like in the Trill Water Mm -hmm. Cave thing. I don't know, but it looked very similar to me. I'm just going to put it out there. Interesting. There might be spore-related stuff, but I could be wrong.
1: Or it could have just been a trick of the light, and it's something completely different. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. I don't know.
0: We're in states of imperfection, right? Yes. So good quote from this. In the absence of faith, only duty remains.
1: Tilly is not happy that May took her into the mycelial network. And she says, and when I get back, I'm not going to work through my anger. I'm going to let it fester. Yeah. Stamets and Burnham find Tilly and May. And finally get to see what Tilly's been seeing all this time. Uh, May has explained that there's a monster trying to destroy them that uses the bark of this tree to as a weapon because it's deadly to the Jossip.
0: Interesting idea.
1: They find this monster, and it's not a monster. It's Culber. It's Culber. It's Culber. It is. That made me happy.
0: He's been in there a while.
1: He has been in there oh, a while. Yeah. Did you see that amazing natural hair he had going on? Good yeah. God. It's just like, wow. And his
0: teeth and the you know drawing a bit of a beard, yeah. couldn't smell can't smell great <laughs> you know
1: i don't know if scent is the same in the mycelial network so I don't i'm just going to i just i don't care <laughs> they're like okay we're going to go back cuz tilly can go back the same way that she came and may has agreed to send her that way they've determined this isn't a monster and we'll take him out of here he won't bother you anymore he doesn't belong here They try to take Culber back through the same way that Samets and Burnham got there. And he starts to dissipate as he goes through Oh, that that
0: was so sad. I was like, no,
1: (laughs) don't do this to me. Just found him again and now can't lose him again. And Culber's like, okay with it. He's like, no, I cannot be the downfall of an entire race of beings you know i'm okay with this he starts to let the spores take him
0: well and there's a really good quote that he says to stamets he says you're devoted to creation to life which to me is a reference to the musical rent that anthony Rapp was in it's very reminiscent of the lyrics to the song la vie bohème
1: I'm pretty sure that Wilson Cruz was also in a production of Rent.
0: Yeah, he played Angel.
1: Stamets is also upset because it was basically his fault that Hugh was there. He didn't realize that he had accidentally sent that energy into the mycelial network, but he also wasn't himself at the time. He was partially in the network himself, so he's not really responsible for his actions there. It was just a weird happenstance. They're saying they're sad goodbyes. Stamets doesn't want to go. Tilly finds like, wait a minute you can do this you can send him the same way you sent me because you have his dna so all you have to do is just rebuild him on the other side
0: i like that may's like
1: eh,
0: i don't know maybe maybe
1: i've never (laughs) tried it sure i guess they go back through then that that door is going to close and may does not want to lose tilly and tilly says i believe that we will find each other again someday i guess we'll see the mycelial network does not obey the same rules of time as the rest of the universe, so right. they could do that at any time. They get back to the other side, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and there's not going to be a hue, and not going to be a hue, and then there's naked hue.
2: Naked hue. Oh my
1: God! What a beautiful human. <laughs> Just, I mean, have do you, you think it's at him? him? Do you think that the same
0: that was him or a stand-in?
1: I don't care, because I know that he is very finely formed. I have seen him working out. Part of me thinks
0: that it was a stand-in, but I don't know.
1: I don't know. Let's ask him. He's responded to me before on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Let's ask him. Same.
0: (laughs) And Insta. This is not related to where we're at now, but there's a moment that I really like, back to the Burnham-Pike dynamic, and then Mm -hmm. going back to Burnham and Tyler. There's a moment in this episode where Burnham defends Tyler to Pike, because, Mm -hmm. you know, Pike is meeting Tyler now. She's finding a way through her grief. With that relationship.
1: She's processing very well, considering everything else that is going on, especially with Spock. So, mm-hmm. and oh, we get to see Admiral Cornwell again. Uh, yes. She's showed up and has uh, showed them why Spock is persona non grata. They see this video. Oh, yeah. I did write in my notes originally damn, Wilson Cruz's body, just damn. <laughs> 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 I wrote that note down. You see this look on Hugh's face where he's not sure if anything that is happening to him is real. But suddenly he's back.
0: Yeah, I'm so impressed with Wilson Cruz's acting.
1: Oh, he's, he's fantastic.
0: In this season, he did some really good work.
1: I adore him anyway as a human. Seeing him having to go through this thing, and it makes perfect sense. You were dead, now you're not. You were experiencing things that literally mm-hmm. no human ever has. It, that must be so lonely. People just expecting you to fall right back into your life when there's, there's no way you can do that. You can't just step back into everything as it was. You're different now. And we'll cover that in the second half of this retrospective. So
0: We get a Culber next snap, number eight. Oh, yeah. Final, as far as I know. I'm only halfway through the season with my rewatch, but this is number eight.
2: This is also my favorite episode of Discovery. Sound of Thunder? I love this one. The one where they go into the mycelial network to rescue Tilly.
1: Oh, no, that's uh, Saints of Imperfection. Saints of Imperfection,
2: sorry. I like that it takes a really big swing. We're dealing with a story Mm -hmm. that transcends death, and it's just amazing special effects with doing the half jump and how they treat that it's very exciting and the spores eating stuff you get section 31 with the tractor beam and the whole idea of covering yourself up with bark and just emotionally relevant with you know finding somebody wanting to bring them back and then not being able to yeah this for me is my favorite episode so far
1: and pike and tyler are not getting along i think that that's apparent he he does not like section nope. 31 he does not like that leland he has to work with him hit leland is an old frenemy i guess yeah. right. and... what is it
2: the peter principle i think it's called when people fail upwards leland has mm. that quality to me somebody who keeps screwing up he and does. keeps getting more and more responsibility oh, interesting it happens yeah. a lot. Yeah, it,
1: it does, especially in an institution such as Section 31, <laughs> yeah. where you have to be a certain kind of person to be able to do yeah. that work. Because if
2: you're capable, they want you to keep you where you are so you don't get promoted.
1: You have to be willing. If
2: you're not capable yeah. and you're not useful where you are, guess what happens? You get promoted.
1: That explains a lot of store mm-hmm. managers that I have dealt with in my Life in yep, retail, presidents. not that I'm more. <laughs> yeah, uh, presidents too, yeah. Certain enough.
2: Supreme Court
0: justices, chiefs of staff, heads of different department, Department mm-hmm. of Education, heads, uh, Housing mm-hmm. and Urban Development. Okay. I'm sorry, <laughs> I could keep going on, but we oh, only okay. have so much time.
1: Yeah, don't don't be sorry. Okay, okay. Sound of thunder. Oh my God, everything changes in this episode.
0: My second <laughs> podcast appearance. Ooh, I did a yes. podcast for this episode with uh, on the Edge mm-hmm. main show.
1: Yes. The next signal appears. It's a red signal number three. And it's Kaminar. Coincidence? Obviously not. I don't think so. This I mean, at this point I absolutely believed that there was a reason for all of these signals and that it was all building up to something that we would understand later.
0: On the live show you were talking about Michael being the red angel. Weren't you already talking about that at this point?
1: I was kind of down to it being either Michael or Spock, but we hadn't Spock, okay. found Spock yet, and so once we, once we found Spock, I'm like, okay, I don't think it's Spock.
0: And the the one that we saw in Kaminar was a little bit more hippie, like female form ish.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, not hippie so- like '70s hippie, <laughs> but like not like
1: peace. Had yeah, some peace hips. And love peace <laughs> and love. The suit itself, you know, creates a little bit of bulk as well. So true. Sure. You know, and there's, there's nothing wrong with a woman having hips. And we get a
2: really good uh-huh. look at the red angel this time, and it's so anime.
1: Mm-hmm. Very anime. Just how
2: its little metallic wings poke out, and it has that whole red aura to it. Yeah, that's true.
1: It's interesting because red is often used as a color for danger. Yeah. Human blood is red. Red is used for stoplights and stop signs and to communicate danger. You don't want to lose your blood. You don't want to be seeing red coming out of you. So when red shows up, you stop. You stop. That's a warning. It's it's how our primitive brains think. I never felt like the red angel was evil. Mm. I even didn't even I knew very little about it. We're going back to Kaminar And, uh, (laughs) yeah, the Ba'ul are not happy that they're there, but they don't really communicate with Discovery when they arrive. Saru wants to go down with Michael. Pike is trying to talk him out of it. And Saru Mm -hmm. is getting upset at that. I don't think he was ever at the point of losing control. But I think that everyone else had no idea what new Saru was. Was going to be light, like. yeah, mm-hmm. and so they were all kind of tense. But Saru was right; he is the person that should have gone down there with Michael. Because yes, yeah, she's a xenobiologist, but or xenoanthropologist, excuse me. But he is a native, and if they're going to get answers from anyone, it's going to be him that's going to spark that conversation. Finally, Pike agrees after Michael intervenes and says, "No, I think that he would be invaluable, and I need to have him with me." And Pike relents. It wasn't that Saru was challenging Pike's authority. What he was questioning was Pike's attitude of he shouldn't be involved in this. Was he saying that he wasn't fit to do his duty? That's the thing that triggered him.
0: This episode leads me to believe that the Kelpians are going to be in Strange New Worlds.
1: Mm. And we are going to see
0: them a bit, perhaps even Serana again.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting if we see them in Strange New Worlds because they're able to pilot fighters and stuff.
2: So they really came to a peace agreement between the two species really quickly.
0: Well we don't know all the details of that. Yeah. So No,
1: we don't. We know but. that she's
0: flying a bowel ship.
1: There's a lot of them flying bowel ships. That's true. I'm guessing that once this whole thing happened, I would imagine that the Federation sent an envoy to help them settle things between the mm-hmm. two species so. the
0: cerritos oh no the cerritos isn't around yet that's <laughs> Their way second in the future contact. <laughs> <laughs> that's way well, way were, way in the future
1: they must have had second contact ships back then but yeah yeah so yeah we go back to and we get to see serana again and serana is shocked excited and then angry which is normal for what happened and then all of those pylons start Pulsing. In oh, you areas. mean the
0: upside down preserver obelisks? Yes.
1: yes. Well, they're they're similar, not exactly, but
0: they are really, 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 really close. They're
2: also like that weird diamond shaped and Hellraiser too.
1: They oh. these seem really sinister, and they are. The Baul have become very sinister yeah. in their plight to survive. That they've gone overboard.
2: Yeah. What a weird planet!
1: It, and what and a I weird like history. that. It's got to be weird. And the only reason that they know now that what happened on Kaminar of the past is because of the sphere data. So thank you, sphere data. That has come Mm -hmm. in handy. And they find out that the Kelpians used to be the predators, and they almost wiped out the Ba'ul.
2: Now, if you were a Kelpian, would you hunt the Ba'ul? Because they look oily and gross, and who would want to eat that, like, ever (laughs) I don't, I don't, they don't would...
1: think that they didn't hmm. eat, hunt them for food. Okay, they just honey. they were
2: a more warlike race then.
1: Yeah, they were aggressive. They were they were undisciplined, like primitive Vulcans in that way. Because mm. I thought they were using they
2: a... phrases like predator and prey. Yeah, yes. that well, was very specific. And
1: just because it's prey doesn't mean it's edible. Well, that's yes, you can prey, prey upon
2: kind of
0: things means. for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm. Who knows. There's. Listen, the Kelpians <laughs> have a very weird, cloudy written history yeah. in seasons one and season well, also two. How so it's like
2: the bowl came into all this technology without any of it filtering down to the Kelpians
1: somehow.
0: And it happened. It was only like a few years ago. Yeah, like it's like ten very years weird. ago, something.
1: It was actually a long time yeah. ago that they became technologically dominant because they weren't physically strong. Right. The people of the Ba'ul who were remaining went into hiding, developed technology to defend themselves, and then as their numbers grew, they took over the planet and basically stopped the Kelpians from going through Vaharai, therefore ending their rage form, their Super Saiyan form, if you will. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Predator and prey, it's not always about food because there are people who like to hunt humans. That doesn't mean they want to eat those humans. It just means they like hunting people down and killing Mm. them.
0: There are some quotes earlier that I really like that meant a lot to me. When Saru tells Culber, you're feeling less like who you were and more like who you were meant to become.
1: That's in my notes, yes.
0: Saru says he's losing the very thing that defines him. I love those quotes about, you know, transformation and growth and moving on. When you're growing into a new phase, it also means like you are outgrowing yourself in a way.
1: This episode has a lot of fantastic edits of one scene melting into another in ways that are unexpected. And just every time that it happens, I'm like, oh, nice edit. And I still do that (laughs) to this day every time I watch this episode. The Ba'al are not happy, especially that Saru went down to the planet with Michael, and that's why they activated the pylons. They're now sending out their sentries. They're going to destroy Discovery.
0: When they when he went and saw the Bowel? No, no, the-
1: no. This is when he was on the planet, and they oh, activated yeah. the pylons because they were upset and so now all of the kelpians are freaking out saru goes back to discovery they're sending out sentry ships they're going to destroy discovery if they don't give up saru pike refuses and he's he's just like you know why would you risk your people for this one kelpian he's like this kelpian is our people yeah so i loved that very firm declaration because that's daddy pike again
0: with all Mm -hmm. for one one for all type of situation
1: Saru decides on his own that he's going to transport down. Michael tries to stop him.
0: Well, he yells at the cute transporter operator that I talked about in the last episode. Yeah, she d- he up. just
1: tells him to get out.
0: His name's Michael Ayers. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. He's really good looking. Mm-hmm. And I like some cool. of his pictures on Instagram and he likes some of mine back. So oh. hi, Michael. <laughs> hi, he's Michael. not listening.
1: <laughs> Maybe. I <You> don't <never> know. <laughs> Uh, Michael shows up to stop him. She pulls out a phaser and she's like, come down off the platform. And he's just stops and turns around and he goes, or what, Michael? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Saru's getting
0: very dramatic.
1: (laughs) No, I like it when he's catty. I love catty Saru. That's my favorite Saru is catty Saru. It's just like, don't judge me by what I was before. I'm not that pushover anymore. This is new Saru thing is, he was even catty when
2: he was more mild-mannered. He still had a bit of a Sometimes. passive-aggressive quality to him.
1: It was a different kind of catty, and it usually only related to Michael. Yeah. yeah. So, because now his Suri, Now we just
0: don't give a fuck. Well, Saru don't yeah. give a fuck. <laughs> he,
1: he gives zero fucks. Absolutely. He gets on the transporter, and he's down on the planet's surface for all of, like, two seconds, and then he's...
0: He beams into the Discovery transporter room.
1: <laughs> he just disappears. He disappears from the sensors. They can't figure out where he went. And all of the sentry ships withdraw. Now there comes the challenge of trying to figure out how to get Saru back and trying to just freaking find him. But in the meantime, we get to see a Ba'ul.
0: Looks a lot like Armus. Not the same species.
1: Not even remotely looks like Armus to me. Not even I mean, even he's a black little. and
0: oozy, so
1: <laughs> he's pretty similar. wet. Just he's wet. He's not. He doesn't look like tar like Armus did, and Armus was also this weird humanoid shape. Where this being has very defined features, like those really long fingers that really just creep me out, and the red eyes. It's like Iggy Pop because the, after
0: Javier Botet has Marfan syndrome, so his limbs are elongated. Wow. Like his, it's it's physically mm. what he looks like. He's been in a lot of movies and. It's really, really interesting.
1: The voice is so
0: creepy creepy
1: because it's almost like a whisper, but it's so sinister and it's echoing. And even after they're done speaking, you still hear things afterwards. And it's just creepy.
2: They have red glowing eyes.
0: Yeah, that's weird.
1: Red glowing eyes freak Brandy out because Brandy was traumatized by silence when she was very young. And mm. has continued to be traumatized by anything with red eyes. Thank you, Maximilian from the Black Hole. Thank you, Terminator in 1984. Really appreciate all those red eyes. Please stop doing that. It's horrifying. And uh, so the bowl basically tells Saru, you don't even know what you are. They, oh, yeah. they told him that when he was still on Discovery and he you don't know what you are transported Serana in to to punish her as well. Saru is ready to defend her. The ba'ul makes a lot of threats, disappears back down into the whatever. It looks more like water, but it's kind of uh, sticky-like. I'm going to guess it was caro syrup with food dye in it, but (laughs) I could be wrong. Then these uh, machines come flying in that are going to basically, I'm guessing, take genetic samples, scramble their brains, and then kill them. They're both pinned to walls, and these machines are about to drill open their faces, and Saru has had enough. <laughs> so he just breaks free. Oh, I forgot that he uh, he fires uh, spikies at the at of the oh, yeah. follow, because that's what replaced his uh, threat ganglia with spikies, spiky spikes. So it's now an attack instead of just a warning. Seru gets down, breaks Serana free, manages to put together some things a la what we saw in The Brightest Star and communicate with Discovery. They still can't pinpoint where he is. All of the pylons have been activated and are going to overload and destroy the rest of the planet and Pike is pissed off. He has had enough of this mess. He is not going to let them destroy an entire race of people. They start firing on all of the different pylons, but they can't do it fast enough. Saru has already said, you need to activate Valharai on everyone at the same time. The information was in the sphere data because the, that's what happened to him. So they modify it so that it happens to everyone really fast. And he does warn Sarana that it is going to hurt. Sarana knew what was happening, but the rest of the planet didn't. And that had to have been terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming most of them made it out alive. <laughs> they didn't show us any of them dying. Yeah, or but, thinking uh, that
2: they're going to die and to take themselves out to prevent the pain. Oh, God.
1: Pylons are about to overload. Discovery can't dis- destroy them fast enough. And all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, we see this burst of red. And then we see this figure appear above mm-hmm. the base, like right in front of the window, where at the room where Serana and Saru are, emits an EMP and then just kind of lingers for a minute while Seru and Sarana stare at it and then poof, it's gone. And then some more beautiful editing of seeing Sarana on Discovery and Seru asking her to stay.
0: I love her. Hannah J. Spear. I think she's wonderful. She has to come back. She's such a good Star Trek actor.
1: I love Sarana. She's just so happy that Seru has had this life and that he's alive and well and he's welcome to visit whenever he wants. But she can't stay there her places with her people to help them through the situation and saru is very smart he's like yes you have to deal with our rage now but we are okay we're gonna get through this we don't have to respond the way our ancestors did we are better than that we can just become normal kelpians where we can just live like normal people we don't have to have revenge that's not going to solve anything at the end of this episode michael decides that she cannot help Spock from Discovery, and she needs to go home to Vulcan. Anything else you want to say about the Sound of Thunder and how awesome it is?
0: (laughs) No. Mm -mm.
1: I love getting that uh, closure for Saru, because he was so upset about what had been done to his people, and he is instrumental in freeing them, and that has to feel good. All right, final episode, Light and Shadows.
0: Light and Shadows.
1: We finally get to see Spock. Not in a video. (laughs) (laughs) We do, but he ain't right He's not right According to what Ethan Peck has said This is the scene that he had for his audition
0: Oh, cool
1: He was told that he was an Andorian That was losing his mind
2: Oh, wow Oh, that's awesome He
1: did not know he was auditioning for Spock He knew it was Star Trek, but he didn't know it was Spock
2: Yeah, I couldn't imagine the pressure for an audition Knowing that you're replacing Spock Oh, yeah, right Not replacing, Mm -hmm. but playing that character That iconic character
1: he had a really great final callback and then they contacted him and said, okay, like the mic wasn't working right. You're going to have to come back and do it again. And he was like, Oh shit. (laughs) I had to do that again. And so he did it again. And then it wasn't too long after that that he got a text message that said, welcome aboard, Mr. Spock. <laughs> Holy
3: shit. That's amazing. <laughs> yes.
1: And he sat down on a bench and cried for 10 minutes. So, Oh, my God. That
0: is yep. amazing. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm getting goosebumps. I also want Sarek's house. I love the house no that can't. they live in. I think it's beautiful.
1: It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The shuttle going into Vulcan was just mm, yes. so visually stunning. Mm-hmm. It made me so happy and, you know, that it was raining and there's this nice landing pad with stairs up to the house and just everything made sense. Yeah,
2: everything seems to have somewhat of a Japanese design to it. I think there was even like cherry blossom-like trees That kind of Japanese culture kind of fits the Vulcan, so it gives us something familiar to relate to.
1: There's stuff going on on Disco, but we're going to cover the Burnham stuff first. This is where Michael confronts her mother, who is Uh, still ticked off, and is telling Michael that she hasn't seen him. Uh, She's keeping secrets, too. Yeah, Sarek is doing this particular Vulcan practice that is supposed to help connect with someone's souls but it's not working and Michael's like no he's so disciplined how could this not be working and she can read Amanda's body language and she finally just says you have never lied to me that's how I know that you're lying now Mm -hmm. and finally Amanda admits that she just says he's not like you remember and finally takes her to see Spock and Spock is not well he's just repeating the doctrines of logic over and over again and sometimes repeating passages from through the looking glass and scratching things into the wall it's like a tomb area and there are a lot of Katra stones in there which is why Sarek can't find him but Sarek is no dummy and and Michael wants to take him to Starfleet Medical and Amanda is adamant that there is no way (laughs) yeah I like when she says
0: how dare you to Mm -hmm. Sarek Oh, when Amanda yeah. says that.
1: And she says, I gave up everything for you because I love you. I can't remember exactly what he says. And she says, would you have left Vulcan for me?
0: Yeah, she, he says, if I didn't love humans, I would not I would have married a Vulcan and not a human. Mm-hmm. This continues my thing for Sarek in this episode. You know, he still got his way. He still convinced them to do things the right way that he wanted them to do. I just, just thinking in that scene, Sarek's a little bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is. Uh, he's like a little can be a little man baby
1: he can but he has a good point at the same he time.
0: he does yeah
1: he does uh, say you know i am not prepared to lose both our children on the same day the
0: same day yeah
1: he got choked up and i'm like mm, masterful Yeah, Very well done, James. So Michael has to be the one to take him back because otherwise she's committing mutiny again and that would not go over well. And Spock needs help that they cannot give him. She takes him back to Section 31. They're setting up this machine while they've sedated Spock and nobody likes the look of it. Giorgio is there standing next to Leland as he's explaining that, you know, this will help Spock, you know, stabilize his mind, all this stuff. And you just see this look on Giorgio's face, and Michael notices it too, where Giorgio is just kinda like, "Uh uh-uh. It's clear that she's not in agreement, but she's not overtly doing anything to undermine Leland. But then after Leland leaves and she has her moment with Spock and she leaves the room and Giorgio says, "Okay, I've disabled the cameras for 60 seconds. Listen fast. And she tells Michael that thing's going to destroy his mind and they need to have a fight so that she can escape with Spock. They make it look good for the cameras.
0: (laughs) I like that she tells her, I know so much more about you than you can imagine.
1: She does know about Michael, but she takes what she knows from her Michael and kind of intermixes it with what this Michael is. So she does have a fuller picture than probably some people do, but at the same time, she doesn't know Michael the way that other people do, as much as she would like to think that she does. But she does have the affection for Michael that is necessary to help her get Spock out of there. And they do manage to do that, and then Michael hides in an asteroid field and disguises her warp trail and all that sort of stuff, and they can't find her and now she's trying to figure out what is going on. She remembers that Spock has dyslexia and that the numbers he's been reciting over and over are backwards feeds them into the computer. And the computer has found one match, and it's the coordinates to Talos, Talos four. four. Oh, boy. Now, on the other side of things, on Discovery, there is a weird kind of uh, time dilation happening where the Red Angel came through so they're going to investigate it and pike decides he's going to man the shuttle and tyler's like i'm going with you pike is just like whatever fine just come they get caught in time basically they send a probe out because they're trying to get readings and they get sucked into this anomaly at the same time and the probe shows up again having some serious upgrades and is trying to get into the shuttle
2: yep right out of the matrix
1: very much matrixy yeah. very much mm-hmm. uh,
0: And very Picard season one.
1: Yeah, almost kills Pike. Ash saves Pike's life, and then Pike later saves his life. They can't get them out. They're arguing about the engines venting plasma, and that's a trick that Pike learned in the Academy, to show somebody where you are when you don't know where you are. (laughs) And Tilly's meanwhile trying to find a way to get them out of there. She uh, determines, with the help of Saru, that Stamets exists outside of Time because of the mycelial network and the tardigrade DNA so they use him to find the shuttle they transport him onto it and he gets them out and the shuttle they blow it up because this probe is trying to access some information but they can't figure out what but before the probe is disconnected this little pattern of three lights in a triangle blinks up on Arium's screen a couple of times and then you see that reflected in her eyes and we know that red lights are never good
2: unless it's the angel
0: unless the red angel
1: and but red lights in somebody's eyes are never Ah, good right
0: (laughs) there's a really cool fade in this episode after the fight from the shuttlecraft into into the Mm -hmm. engineering room Like, it's so cool that nacelles from the shuttlecraft become like the top of the light and engineering thing. It's really beautiful.
2: Dissolves.
1: Yes, a a lot of beautiful things in there.
0: And thus Giorgio continues her takeover of Section 31. Mm -hmm.
1: I think she's better for it than Leland is. He's done a lot of things wrong. She knows about him. And she threatens him with that stuff on a regular basis. It's
2: like killing the wrong ambassador. Is that one of them?
1: She didn't say killing. Ah. She just says, Would they be interested to know what you did to the wrong ambassador at right. such and such? So, where can people find you, Chris, when you're not doing this?
0: Well, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at CD Littlefield. And you can follow my other shows, Open Channel, which is a fan reaction podcast. We read and discuss your comments. That's at Open Channel Trek. On Instagram and Twitter. And then I have an interview podcast called There Are Four Questions. And you can find us at Four Questions Trek. And that's the number four, not spelled out.
1: Perfect. Dave, where can people find you? You can
2: find me on Twitter at Dark Corner Cast. And if you follow along enough, I'll link to pretty much everything else I'm doing.
1: <laughs> you can find me at Brandywine12 on Twitter. I do some other podcasts on suite Media, The Vedic Assembly about Deep Space Nine, and go about Strange New Worlds. I do two live shows, The Unready Room on Friday nights at 7 Mountain Time on uh, Kurt Ratt's Productions YouTube channel. That's Dan Gunther's YouTube channel. He's fantastic. And Infinite Trek, which I do currently on Saturdays at 12 p.m. Mountain Time on Twitch on the Outpost 13 channel. And that's released as an audio podcast on Tuesday on Trek Geeks. I do that podcast with dave called dark corner podcast and i do a solo podcast called head Cannon, and you can find those at darkcornerpodcast.com thank you for bearing with us and join us for the second half of our season two retrospective next week so that you too can see what the future holds Ooh. This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Sweet Media programs.
0: Loading Sweet Preview Program for The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. And then the second mention, again, love letter to TNG, when Archer and Tripper are sharing their scotch, and then Archer says, well, here's to the next generation. And I was
3: like, oh!
2: Why are there so many nods in this episode for TNG fans like Amy to be like, oh, my God, yeah, next year? Yeah. They had movies and everything. They just had a film three years before or two years before. And yet I'm here as an Enterprise fan waiting for something. Right, <laughs> Give yeah. Me anything. Give me anything that makes me feel like, oh, yeah, four years of Enterprise.
0: Loading Sweet Preview Program for There Are Four Questions, a Star Trek Spotlight podcast. I think that connecting to other fans is a key way to realize that you're not the only one out there. Nobody can take away the characters that you identify with. See, I told you I was going to start crying. And um, no, that's OK. This is a safe space.
3: <laughs> OK. Um, if humanity is kind of I think we're on the verge of changing our trajectory a little bit. And if we do that in the right way, the future that you're seeing on the screen will happen.
0: Loading Sweet Preview Program for Ladies' Trek Library, Women with a Passion for Star Trek Books.
3: Diane Duane, as a female writer, had to put in, which I liked, having a, a female in command, you know, a, a Klingon, because um, we, we don't see that as much as the Klingons, with the Klingons.
0: No, um, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, the, uh,
1: the, land, the Klingon landing party, the head of the Klingon landing party was a woman. And in the original series, we didn't really, did we even see, I don't think we saw any female Klingons in charge
0: at all. Um, and even in the next generation.
1: Computer, deactivate Holosuite. Whatever May wants, they don't know what May wants. Whatever May wants, they don't know what May wants. Whatever May wants, they don't know what May wants.